Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Madison Reed. Madison Reed is salon quality hair color with an authentic personal touch. Madison Reed brings the prestige pampered salon experience to the time-saving and money-saving convenience of your home. Made with ingredients you can feel good about, Madison Reed is the first ever six-free permanent hair color. It's free of ammonia, parabens, resorcinol, PPD, phthalates, and gluten. It also has 100% gray coverage and the support of Madison Reed expert colorists who will guide you every step of the way. This will give you color with total confidence that you can do at home. Try it. Love it. Your satisfaction and your hair happiness are guaranteed. That's the beauty of Madison Reed. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com and get 10% off plus free shipping on your first color kit with code all the books, all one word. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 80, and today we are talking about books released on November 8th, 2016, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with my fellow podcast, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello, hello. Hi. We are days away from Book Riot Live. I'm so excited. Me too. The next time we do this show, we'll be sitting together. I'm so excited. <laughs> it's going to be so great. Uh, today, as we are recording, we are one day away from this election being over. I'm so excited. <laughs> Me too. I can't wait to like actually be able to read again. Yeah, it's it's been stressful for everyone involved. <laughs> it has. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, friends, it's going to be okay. It will it be is. over soon at the very least. Yeah. And then Book Riot Live. Yay. And it's like a big Riot election Live. celebration. Yes. Or, or it will. It has to be a celebration. This It'll is the only thing that I have room for in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's been quite a month. I'm just not, I really like am not able to focus reading very much. Uh, and so this is kind of a bookish show about whatever. But uh, we like books and we have plenty of whatever related things to say about them. And I think our friendly listeners here are going to be all right with playing a little faster and looser with the rules, especially in the run up to our big event. Uh, do you want to kick us off with your first pick this week? I certainly do, because it's so good. Um, I've mentioned this before. Uh, I read a lot of my books, uh, advanced copies, um, on my laptop. It's eGalleys, and sometimes I don't get to read all of the ones that I have. And, ev and uh, eventually, <laughs> occasionally, one of them will be set to expire, and I'll be like, oh, I want to read that before it goes away. And so this is what happened with this one. It's called Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil by Melina Marchetta. And it blew my mind. I am so glad that I read it. I will tell you, halfway through reading it, I ditched my eGalley and went and bought a finished copy and four more of her books because <laughs> I was enjoying it that much. It, it's so good. And oh, I, you are a bookseller's dream. <laughs> like, 
I've heard I've heard of her. She wrote something called Jellico Road, which won awards mm-hmm. and is very famous and people love it. I've never read it. This is her first adult novel, and it just knocked the socks off my brain. It's about a suspended English cop named Bish. He's like your usual, like, sort of middle-aged, divorcee cop. You know, he's living this sad life. He's drinking too much. Um, he and his wife lost a child, and their marriage did not survive that. Um, his, his wife is now remarried, and their teen daughter lives with, with his ex-wife. But it turns out it's the summertime, and his teen daughter, B is on a trip of France, a bus trip with a bunch of high school kids. Do they call them high school kids in, in England? I think so, Sure. Right? Sure. They, they say, like, you're, you're 10 and you're this, and I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't know what that means. Um, so th- they're on a, a trip in France, a school trip, when a bomb goes off on their bus. Like, this is, like, really heavy stuff. Like, this is very realistic, very scary. Um, reading this book made it feel like the bottom dropped out of my stomach. But it also is so fantastic. The details are amazing. So Bish gets this call that this bomb has gone off on his daughter's bus. Um, she's okay, but some people are not. And now he gets this call from an old schoolmate from of his. And he says, I want you to go check out what's going on. And he's like, well, I'm a suspended cop. I can't. And his friend is like, yes, you can. And it kind of turns out that maybe his friend is working for some, like, a very high-up organization, but he won't tell him what it is. But he pretty much clears the way for Bish to do all this, like, investigating and, and get, um, you know, access to witnesses and all the stuff. And, of course, he has a personal interest in this because his daughter was on that bus. And it turns out that another teen on that bus was the granddaughter of a bombing suspect... Uh, in a very famous bombing in England 17 years before. So now they're not sure, you know, who the intended target was. Um, there's a couple of other things pertaining to the other, some other kids on the bus. And then this girl, the, the granddaughter of the bombing suspect, goes missing. And now Bish needs to find her. And in order to do that, he has to go visit her mother, who is in prison. Um, I'm not going to tell any more than that, because uh, I just keep talking about it. I could talk about it all day. But it's so good. It's so complex. There's so much family drama and racial tension and just all this really true, amazing, horrible stuff about terrorism. Um, I just absolutely loved it. It completely blew my mind. Again, it's called Tell the Truth, Shame the Devil by Melina Marchetta. That's an awesome title. It's really good. I've heard such good things about it. My first pick this week is one that is just fresh out in paperback. I missed it when it came out last year in hardcover, and I don't really know how. Uh, It's called First Bite, How We Learn to Eat by B. Wilson, B-E-E, like buzz buzz. Uh, She's a food writer and a thinker about food and eating. Um, And I think her first book was Consider the Fork, which I loved. It's sort of a cultural history of all the stuff around food and eating uh, and like the history of utensils, which talk about a fantastic micro history and one that's right in my wheelhouse. Um, If you're into food writing and you haven't read Consider the Fork, go pick that up. Um, First Bite is a bit of a departure for her. Um, It's more of a, not quite a manifesto, uh, but it's a response to the trend of diet and health books and to the ongoing, you know, sort of 
fad diets that we see in culture um, that are like, if you just eat this way, you'll be healthier. If you just eat this other way, you'll be healthier. No, just listen to your body. Your body magically knows what you need. So she draws on just tons and tons of research from food psychologists, which is a job you can have, uh, neuroscience, and like years and years and years of behavioral studies, of cultural studies, of anthropology, of things that look at gender, of stuff that looks at sort of family systems, to look at all of the stuff that exists around food and eating and that form the tastes that we have. And she starts from the premise, uh, which I believe that it's virtually impossible to disentangle nature and nurture by the time you're a person who has food tastes established. Um, do you hate Brussels sprouts because they're bitter and you just are sensitive to bitterness? Do you hate them because your parents hated them and they sort of reinforced the notion of that? Maybe it's both of those things. Uh, do you love the food that you love because it tastes good and it makes your body feel good? Or do you love it because you remember remember like your mom cooking that every time you got an A on your report card or something. Um, what would happen if we could separate these things is a big mystery because we just can't. Food and eating are so integral to who we are as people and to our cultures that, uh, that they just can't be taken apart. And so she's like, okay, what we have currently is a crisis in how people eat, especially in America um, and in developed nations. M more people than not are overweight or obese? And what do we do to teach people to eat more healthily? And so what she's done in First Bite is put together a, a, essentially a way to relearn how you eat. Um, and it's more philosophy of food, like how to think about what you cook and how to think about what you eat um, and how to start to examine why you like the foods that you like and why is it that you think you don't like this one food that you haven't tasted in 15 years? Maybe it's time to give that a shot again. Where did the notion come from that it's disgusting and that you won't like it? Um, how do we try new things and help us reconcile the existing gap between the first order desires we have about food of I want to eat this thing because I want to eat this thing with the second order desire of I want to eat this thing because of some other reason, because it will be good for me, because I know that I should, uh, because everybody else likes to eat this thing. And, and so I want to like it too. And to approach the way that we eat in a new way. So this is not a diet plan. It's not a, it's not 300 pages of recipes to follow and food shopping instructions that will magically make you healthier. It's a holistic approach to thinking about what food is in our lives, um, what it is from the very first bite, how our tastes are formed from the time that we're children. So if you're raising kids, I think this might be especially interesting to you. Or if you carried uh, food issues from your childhood into your adulthood, this is worth a look. Um, anything like this, especially about food, which is just so fraught and so weighted in our lives, isn't going to be a fit for everybody. I found a lot of it to be really interesting and thought provoking um, and refreshing after uh, the spate of like, just eat paleo, don't eat any gluten, everyone should be dairy free, um, all these, you know, various diet trends that are good for some people, but not necessarily good for everyone. Here's how to think about what might be good for you. So again, it's called First Bite, How We Learn to Eat by B. Wilson. Excellent. Yes. I like okay. your little bee like buzz. Bee like buzz. <laughs> do you want to hear about cool our first name. sponsor? Oh, I do want to hear just, our first I just interrupted. I'm sorry. What oh, no. Just saying, it's, it's a cool name. Oh. Bee. Yeah. It's a, it's the name of the daughter in the book. That, uh, tell the truth. Shame the devil. Bee. Like, Perfect. Like buzz. Like so, buzz. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so something completely different now. I'll tell you about our first sponsor. Um, you know how 
you, you, Rebecca, know, not everyone else yes. knows. You know how I spent most of the 90s listening to heavy metal. So I've recently, in the last year, mostly under because of your influence, been doing a deep dive into 90s music that oh, I, so sort of, I sort of missed out on. Um, and I was listening to it the other day, and I heard this song that I thought would be really good to use for a third left spot. <laughs> and I'm going to try and sing it to you, but I can't sing, so... I'm just going to belt it out, all right? You ready? Oh, yes. Now that we found their love, what are we going to do with it? Yes. You know, a heavy D song? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, I I'd, even, I'd even offer to sing it for them because it's my stripper name is Heavy D's. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, it's Serendipity, which is my other stripper name. Serendipity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> These jokes write themselves. Unlike my We're going to be here all day, folks. Like, we're yeah. going to hang up and just make boob jokes. <laughs> But seriously, this is we're going to talk about Third Love. You know how much we love it. It is the most comfortable bra we've ever owned. There are, I should say bras. We don't have one that we share. But it's not they the really, of the really are. Pants. You know, they're they're so comfortable. Um, the cups are made out of memory foam. They mold to your shape so they don't like squeeze you and force you to do things that you don't want to. They're super smoothing and invisible under your outfits. I hate that when you're wearing, like, a shirt and the fabric on the cup of your bra, like, folds up so it looks like your breast is sort of folded. Mm -hmm. Like, you can see that crease in your shirt. I hate that. This doesn't happen with these. They're so, so great. You know we love them. You know we want you to try them. And so does Third Love. Third Love stands behind this product so much that they are willing to let listeners try the t-shirt bra for free. The 24-7 t-shirt bra. It's the one we have. It's amazing. You just pay for the shipping. You wear it for 30 days. You can take the tags off. You can wear it. You can wash it. You can do whatever you normally do when you buy a bra. If you love it, you keep it, and they'll charge your card. If you don't love it, you send it back for free, and your card will not be charged. And if you don't know your size, they have a friendly online fit specialist who will help you figure it out so that you have the perfect fit and you can start being happy and not irritated at the end of your day. So you go to thirdlove.com slash books to get started. That's thirdlove.com slash books and start your free trial. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) I'm happy anytime there's an excuse for a 90s music reference, but especially when you're going to sing to me. That's (laughs) Yeah, I'm not great at singing, but I'm not afraid to do it. That's really what it's all about. We're going to do a, I think we have a staff karaoke event that is staff only uh, after Book Riot Live. And several of the contributors were talking about how uh, they're not very good, but they have lots of enthusiasm. And I happen to think that that's how you get good. It's just so much enthusiasm that no one notices if you can sing or not. Yeah. The first time I sat there and I was like, like really nervous and, and I just watched everybody, but I was like, I'm missing out on the fun. So then Jen and I sang that dollar sign girl, whatever her name is. Kesha. <laughs> Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> I got you. Why don't we roll back onto something we know some things about and talk Speaking about Speaking of dollar books. signs, <laughs> let's talk about the book that just won the $50,000 Kirkus Prize. Now that is how you make a segue. It is The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan. This book is fantastic. I don't think we covered it on the podcast when it came out. I think it was in the newsletter. So I just wanted to mention it briefly because, like I said, they did uh, they, they it did just win the Kirkus Prize, which is awesome. I get so excited when writers win these giant, like, monetary prizes because, yeah, it sounds great to win $50,000, but less than 1% of all published authors make their living writing. Mm-hmm. So you think about all these people who have other jobs, two jobs, three jobs, and they're writing in their spare, in their spare time. So, like, it's completely you know, they're completely deserving, you know, when they win these kind of things. So I'm so excited for C.E. Morgan because this book is fantastic. It is about a racehorse owner named Henry Forge and his daughter Henrietta, 
Uh, they come from a long line of Kentucky breeders. They're on the Forge Farm down in Kentucky, and Henry is has a horse named Helmuth that he is trying, or Helmuth, I'm not entirely sure. He's trying to uh, race this horse. He wants this to be like a champion horse. And he hires a black man right out of prison named Almond. Uh, he sees something in him. He brings him to his farm, and it sort of stirs up all the ugly racist history of the Forge Farm and all the dark secrets. And it also, you know, there's Henrietta and there's this young man on the farm. Like All this stuff is going on. And will they be able to overcome the past of the farm to build a new future for the Forge family and for this horse and for Almond? Um, the writing is over-the-top amazing. I mean, just incredible. When I was reading it, I, I don't know why I felt this way, but it reminded me a lot of Graham Swift. Or Edward mm. P. Jones, who wrote mm-hmm. The Known World. It reminded me a lot of that. Um, it's really complex. It's really rich. The writing is so, so pretty. and But the story and the characters are not. They are quite ugly, sometimes incredibly awful, and all seriously complicated. Um, and, and it's great. I love, like, I don't have to like a character in order to enjoy a book. Like, it's totally fine with me. I know some people are like, if I don't like the character, I don't want to read the book. That's not the case for me. I thought it was so great. It's just, it's a, it covers some really horrifying subjects, but it's an astonishing novel about history and racism and horse racing, which I, I knew nothing about other than Seabiscuit. So, again, it's awesome. It's The Sport of Kings by C.E. Morgan. I've got to read that soon. When um, Lisa Lucas and Kevin Wynn were on the Book Riot podcast with me back in June or July talking about the best books of the year so far, that was one of Lisa's picks. Um, She's the executive director of the National Book Foundation. And I remember saying then I should put it on my list. So now two of my favorite people have endorsed it. Well, if you're doing the Read Harder Challenge, it is over 500 pages, so you could make it your... 500 page novel challenge it but it's it's not like one that you're going to sit down and fly through in a few hours i mean it's it's very complex and awesome i am very proud of you for reading that during this election cycle Um, my next pick is much lighter and is connected in theme to my first round pick. Um, it's the paperback release of Slice Harvester, a memoir in pizza by Colin Atrophy Hagendorf. Um, I talked about this on the show when it came out last year, so this will be a refresher for some of you. It's a memoir about trying to eat a cheese slice from every pizzeria in New York City. Uh, Colin Hagendorf is a punk rocker when he was in his 20s. He sort of haphazardly set out on this mission. He started eating pizza slices. He he and a friend like mapped out all of the pizzerias in New York and set out to taste them all and then to make notes. And so he started like making notes on his blog and the blog, this was in 2009, um, and the blog got noticed and it took two years and 435 slices uh but he got featured all over the place people like all like people all over the country knew him as this pizza guy um and he was this you know sort of self-proclaimed like very serious punk dude who was like barely getting by. Um, He was delivering burritos uh, before this happened. And this was sort of how he put his life together. Um, In the process over these two years of of eating all this pizza and writing about it, he finds purpose in this really unexpected place um, through this project that just seemed like a whim. Uh, He gets sober. He uh, gets into a healthy long-term relationship, which was a thing that he uh, had really struggled 
uh, to do. And he like kind of takes control of his life. So the book is not just about, you know, going to 435 pizzerias, um, but really about kind of the magic of what having a purpose, even if the purpose seems silly or frivolous to other people, like going to taste a bunch of pizza can do for someone. Um, he talks about addiction. He talks about the toxic relationship history that he has, how the addiction and the relationship stuff were, uh, you know, fed into each other. He talks about eating pizza with famous people. He talks about um, what this project did in his friendships and his personal life. It's so just, I found it really unexpectedly substantial for a novel, not a novel, for a memoir about eating, going to eat a bunch of pizza. Like I would read a book about just going to eat a bunch of pizza, um, but he really goes to a lot of interesting places. And he talks, there's some about like the punk community in New York and how that's all filled with politics and where he fell into those and different people that he ate different kinds of pizza with and what the kind of pizza that you like might indicate about what kind of person you are or what your social group is. It was fascinating, sort of as a micro anthropology sort of situation and also a memoir. Um, so if you're looking for something tasty to read, I would recommend Slice Harvester, a memoir in pizza. It's by Colin Atrophy Hagendorf. I loved that book. Wasn't it good? Yeah, it's really good. Has he, I wonder if he's doing something else now, like not another know. book I would read. Yeah, we should Google him. Like he, maybe he's the AJ Jacobs of uh, eating all of the somethings. Like maybe he's on a, t- <laughs> a taco challenge. As long as he doesn't touch chicken tenders, because someday when Book Riot's over, I'm going to go taste every chicken tender in the country. In the country? My goodness. That's going to take a while. <laughs> or many of them? I don't know. Maybe like the best chicken tenders in each state. Speaking of chicken tenders, I have no segue. <laughs> I got nothing. Uh, this book just came out last week. I mentioned it in the newsletter, but I wanted to briefly cover it again here because it's so delightful. Uh, it's called Not Just Jane, Rediscovering Seven Amazing Women Writers Who Transformed British Literature by Shelley DeWeese. It's so much fun. It's a paperback original. It's great. It's about basically what I just said, seven women writers who transform British literature. The Jane in Not Just Jane stands for, stands for Jane Austen, of course. Um, and this is about the seven women who are not household names like Austen or the Brontes, but they hold an important place in literary history. I'm going to tell you their names and you can tell me. You don't have to tell me. You can just listen at home because I'm not there or don't, don't look behind your seat. Um, but I'm going to mention their names and I didn't recognize any of them. The seven women are Charlotte Turner Smith, Helen Maria Williams, Mary Robinson, Catherine Crow, Sarah Coleridge, Dinah Mullock Crake, and Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Like, no clue. Had never heard no of clue. any of them. But these women were really important to to history of literature and British women and all kinds of great stuff. And Dewey's delivers a really thorough historical analysis of these forgotten 18th and 19th century British women's literary legacies. Um, that was a whole, that was a mouthful. Um, but she does it, you know, through biographical information about these unsung writers. And it's just, it's really informational. It's crazy interesting. It's riveting. And through Dewey's research, you know, she discovers and explains how they came to be forgotten. So if you love writing, if you love reading, if you love books, like anything, you don't even have to be an Austen fan or a British literature fan. It's just really fun and interesting. Again, it's called Not Just Jane. By Shelley Louise. Oh, oh, and I want to say that oh. it's edited by my f- um, favorite editor, Hannah Wood. One of my favorite editors. <gasps> Hi, Hannah. I'm a, yeah, I'm a fangirl. So good. So. What else is good is our next sponsor. Yay! Yay! 
It's Heartless by Marissa Mayer. Long before she was the terror of Wonderland, she was just a girl who wanted to fall in love. Catherine is one of the most desired girls in Wonderland and a favorite of the unmarried King of Hearts, but her interests lie elsewhere. When Kath meets Jest, the handsome and mysterious court joker, she feels the pull of true attraction for the first time. Risking everything, they enter into an intense secret courtship. Kath is determined to defy her destiny and fall in love on her own terms, but in a land thriving with magic, madness, and monsters, fate has other plans. And uh, so Kath, if you are tracking, Marissa Meyer does these sort of like really awesome takes on fairy tales and uh, folk stories. And Kath is the young girl version of the Red Queen of Wonderland. Uh, and so the blurb here says, yes, even the blackest heart once beat red, uh, which I just think is so much fun. Uh, critics love this series. They say this is Marissa Meyer's best fantasy yet. And it tells the story of the evolution of the Red Queen from a young girl who dreamed of true love and freedom into being a mad woman, best remembered for the phrase, off with his head, that we all remember from Alice in Wonderland. Uh, so you can check out Heartless by Marissa Mayer wherever books are sold, or we'll have a link to it in the show notes. And uh, you should, you should. These books are really fun. Yay! Uh, so that's Heartless by Marissa Mayer. Um, a thing that is not Heartless, that is actually full of heart, is my next pick this week. And I'm really sorry that I'm about to do this, listeners, because <laughs> I'm really sorry, but not sorry enough to not talk about the book because it foxed me up so good. Uh, it's All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. Uh, she wrote St. Maisie, which we both raved about last year. She wrote The Middle Steens, and uh, she's written many other great things. I think this is the sixth novel that she's written. Um, it comes out in March. So I'm sorry, I will give you a minute to like groan about having to wait, but you can pre-order it now and there will be a link in the show notes and you should do that. And they're not paying me to say that. I just love, love, loved this book. Uh, it is about a woman named Andrea um, who is single and she is child free and she doesn't think she wants to get married and she knows that she doesn't want children. And she is living her life as kind of a mess for most of her early adulthood in mostly New York City. She moves back and forth from Chicago a few times. Um, she is muddling through dating and terrible things that happen with men. Uh, she muddles through friendships and messing some things up. Her family situation is really difficult. Her relationship with her mom is hard and strained. And her mom just, you know, wants her to like settle down and meet a nice man um, and doesn't really support or understand her. Uh, her older brother is married to a woman that she really likes and she sees their relationship as this example. Um, but then her brother and his wife have a child who is born uh, terminally ill and their relationship suffers. The whole family feels the difficulty of that. And Andrea doesn't always show up in the ways that she should for the family. Um, the book is structured so phenomenally. The first chapter is written in second person, uh, which if th if that sounds unfamiliar to you, it's the construction of like you open a door and you walk down a hallway and you meet this man in a dark bar and so on and so forth. Um, and that first chapter sort of dumps out most of the things that we can expect to have happen to Andrea. And it just hits you one thing after the next. And then it switches to first person from Andrea's perspective for the rest of the story. And it's nonlinear. We just move back and forth in time with her as she's remembering different events and different things that happened in her relationships. And so we know we get to know some of her friends at different periods and some of the stuff that's happened in her family and these men that uh, she's dating at one point and then later on mentions, you know, that they were just somebody that she slept with for a while. It is it is so good. Um, I've 
not read in fiction. I don't think anything that was just so true to the experience of contemporary womanhood. Um, and I'm not the character that Andrea is. I'm I don't want kids, but I'm married. I have been forever. Um, we do, Andrea and I don't have a lot in common other than both being women in today's world and how complicated that can be. But Jamie Attenberg just goes for it. She pulls no punches. This feels like the kind of book that somebody writes when they've had their entire life to think about a thing. And the thing that Jamie Attenberg has been thinking about is what it is to be a woman, what it is to be self-determined about relationships and about family and to make decisions that are different from the traditional narrative decisions that you make, but to still be happy. Andrea likes the life that she has set up for herself, even when it's hard and she learns to take good care of herself. And it's just so good. And it's like 200 pages. I read the whole thing in one sitting. I was going to save it until closer to the release date. Um, and I was uh, ranting on Twitter last week after an article that I read about misconceptions people have about women who don't want children. And Jamie popped up and was like, hi, you should read my new novel soon. And I was like, ah, it just came in the mail yesterday. And so I'm going to do it. Uh, and I'm so, so glad that I picked it up. It was exactly what I needed to read. It's the book I've been needing to read, I think, for like a decade. Uh, it's so so good. It's probably going to be my favorite book of 2017. Uh, and I think I could just talk about it all day long. Again, it's called All Grown Up by Jamie Attenberg. Comes out in March. Put it on your lists now. Yes, write it down right now. I ugly cried for a lot of that. Oh, the last chapter is tough, man. Yeah, it's so, so good. It's her best. It's it's mm -hmm. my, my pull quote, as we call it, <laughs> yeah. is it's her... Funniest, feistiest, sexiest, smartest book yet. There you it go. It just reads like a house on fire. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Good job, Jamie. Speaking of houses, oh. my last pick, um, I'm tying this into Book Riot Live. I mentioned this book briefly last week, and I want to tell you a little bit more about it because I love this book. It's so weird. People were asking me about it. It's called The Man in My Basement by Walter Mosley, who Rebecca will be hey, hey. talking to on the stage this weekend. Um, it's one of his older ones. I love this book so much. It's about a young, unemployed black man named Charles Blakey. He is living in his remote family home. It's been in his... this. It's this beautiful, giant house. It's in the middle of nowhere, really, off the road. Um, and he's been living there. Uh, just He drinks too much. He's really lazy about getting a job. He's living alone. Just watches a lot of TV, if I remember correctly. I read it a long time ago. Um, and But... You know, you can't do that forever and not pay any bills and, you know, expect to keep your home, you know, if you don't have any money. Um, and so he's about to lose his family's house, you know, and he knows, like, this is a terrible thing and everyone's going to be disappointed in him and, and it's awful. And it, all of a sudden, the answer to his problems shows up at his door. This man, who says his name is Aniston Bennett, shows up. He's a, he's a middle-aged white man. He says that he's been looking around and he's decided that Charles has the perfect place for what he needs and he will give Charles $50,000 to lock him in his basement in a cage. <sighs> right? So Charles is like, this man's obviously deranged. Like, what is this all about? You know, like, what is the trick? Am I going to go to jail? Like, am I being punked? You know, whatever. But he really needs the money. And this man seems on the level. He tells Charles that he's done some questionable things and he needs redemption 
And, you know, he really needs this to, like, to resolve his issues, his inner turmoil. You know, he would be doing him this great favor if he would lock him in a cage in his basement and feed him and check on him a couple times a day and just, you know, leave him down there. So Charles decides to go for it. He decides to do this. And so he locks the man in his basement. He locks Aniston down there. Um, But as the days go on, they get to talking. And the more that Aniston talks and talks, the more that Charles becomes disgusted and frightened to have let this man into his home. And now he has, he's a young black man with a white man caged in his basement, you know, and what is he going to do with him? He Should he call the police? You know, how's that going to look? You know, should he just leave him down there and close the door and never feed him and let him, you know, starve to death? You know, should he let him go and say, like, get out of my house? You know, he's going to have to give the money back. Like, what is he going to do? And it's, it's this creepy weird smart book about just oh it's just like I can't even think of any words right now it's so psychologically weird um but it's really like about who has the power the caged or the free it's so weird and awesome again it's called the man in my basement by Walter Mosley <sighs> that is not one that I had time to read in my book riot live prep and I both really want to and I'm also totally scared of it <laughs> Uh, My next pick this week is a throwback. I think I read this book in the days before we had this podcast. uh, And it's one of of my favorite authors and one of Book Riot's favorite authors. Uh, So my pick today is Salsa Nocturno, which is a collection of short stories by Daniel Jose Older. Uh, If you read Half Resurrection Blues, that is the first in his Bone Street Rumba series. And the uh, second one came out last year. That was called Midnight Taxi Tango. Battle Battle Hill Bolero is the third one. It comes out in January. And when it showed up in the mail last week, it reminded me to talk about how much I love these books. Uh, Salsa Nocturna is short stories, but it's set in the same world as the Bone Street Rumba series with the same characters. And it gives us, uh, we just meet the characters where in the, um, and Half Resurrection Blues, we find out like how Carlos got to be a half-dead crime fighter. Uh, and in Salsa Nocturna, he just is one. And we see these just bizarre experiences that he has. It's this gritty, like sort of, well, it's very noir. It's a gritty, like urban fantasy, noir, weird thing that happens. And these books are just so much fun. Salsa Nocturna is pretty short. I remember reading it in like one big gulp, just waiting for the next weird thing that would happen. Like uh, Carlos is employed by this council of supernatural beings slash dudes whose job it is to regulate uh, other supernatural monsters functionally. Uh, So he sees things because he's half dead that people who are living can't see, but he is not dead dead. So he can fight the monsters that they're fully living people can't see. It's just crazy. Um, And I'm not doing it any justice trying to describe it. But if you're looking for new gritty noir stories you do not want to miss Daniel Jose Older um the voice of his characters and of his writing is so singular and so recognizable like i swear if someone just pr- printed out a paragraph from one of his books and handed it to me i would recognize that it was him uh he's just so himself uh and his stories are just so unique so much fun to read they remain these books remain in my top like most fun reading experiences and not in a 
not just in like a light, fancy, popcorny kind of way. Like you will keep the popcorn coming, you will turn the pages, uh, but you will be so invested in this strange, dark world that is not too strange and dark. It's also really funny. The characters have so much swagger uh, and just weird things happen to them. And because it's this world, they just accept it. Uh, it's They're just great reads. Uh, I highly recommend if you've been reading the Bone Street Rumba series that you go back to Salsa Nocturna, which he wrote before those novels. So just see a different glimpse of the characters. If you haven't read Daniel Jose Older, start either with Salsa Nocturna or with Half Resurrection Blues and then, you know, go the other way around when you're done. Uh, it's so, so wonderful. So that's my throwback pick this week. Perfect for going into cozying up. Like I would love to have a, a stack of these for a fall weekend when I, you know, if I hadn't read them all already. So pick up Salsa Nocturna by Daniel Jose Older. He was at BRL last year. He was. And last year we did a video ad and he was the voice of Reginald the Pigeon in our video. Which is awesome. <laughs> yeah. He's Reginald. he's he's great. Uh, and his books are just fantastic and should be widely read. So let's all get on that. Uh, that wraps up new books this week. What are you going to read now? I'm going to read The Levers by Lisa Ko. I actually don't know anything about it, except that it's a debut novel from Algonquin, who I love, and Craig from Algonquin, who I love, told me mm-hmm. that I absolutely had to read this, so I'm avoiding finding out what it's about. I'm just I'm just heading right into it as soon as we're done here. Awesome. What are you going to read? I have started Wonderland by Stephen Johnson, which comes out next week. Um, he, I think... I can't remember if it's the thing I was intending to read last week or if I've just mentioned it on the show that I was looking forward to it this fall, but he writes, he's a terrific and a really accessible, interesting science writer. Um, and the book is about how a lot of the major innovations uh, that drive the modern world have their origins in things people discovered when they were just mucking around. That's just the origins of play um, or the importance of play in the origins of things that became very serious and life-changing discoveries. I've read the first chapter. Uh, it's about fashion and clothing and the rise of shopping as an experience instead of just a utilitarian thing and what that has to do with a rare kind of sea snail. Uh, it's it's great. It's like his books are just great. They're so fascinating. Uh, he flips around the assumptions that we make about how things got to be the way that they are. Um, I always look forward to them. So I started it this weekend. When my head is a little bit clearer, I'm going to finish it in time for Booker at Live. So... The next time I see you. Yes, the next show we record. It'll I be... should say the next time I talk at you, really. Uh, yes. I don't get to see you that often. It'll be so good. Yay. Um, if you that... see us at Book Riot Live, please come and say hello. Yes, please do. We will be so sad if we just see on Twitter later that you were there and you thought about coming to say hi to us. We are both very nice and Liberty's shots have all been updated. Yes. <laughs> so... Yes, so no problems there. We're safe. Um, thank you again to our sponsors this week, Madison Reed. Go to Madison Reed, uh, Madison-Reed.com. That's a hyphen in there. And use the code all the books to get 10% and free shipping off your first order. Thanks to Third Love. Go to thirdlove.com slash books to get your free 30-day trial with the 24-7 t-shirt bra. And to Heartless by Marissa Mayer. Uh, pick that up wherever books are sold or check out the link in our show notes for them. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com or talk to us on Twitter. I'm Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. Liberty is Miss Liberty. And if you've got a minute and want to give us a pat on the head or a little tip, you can do that by leaving an iTunes rating or review. And as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, 
We have to get ready for Book Riot Live, but you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. Hooray! <laughs> We're going to do this! It's only a couple more days! Yay! Yay, yay! And in the meantime, happy, happy reading! reading.